0: Hello, and welcome back to the Events Unpause podcast. In this five-episode podcast series, we're talking about how the global pandemic changed the event industry and how we'll take those lessons well into the future. In the last episode, we talked about how organizations' recent experiments with digital and hybrid events are shaping their future event strategies. this episode, we'll dig deeper into the specifics of designing a successful digital or hybrid event. The fundamentals of planning remain the same across every type of event. It's about understanding your audience and developing a smart design strategy that helps you reach specific goals. But you just can't copy and paste your legacy event into a digital format. Honestly, even if the format stays the same, we would never recommend putting an event on autopilot. The fact is, your audience evolves, your organization evolves, and your event needs to evolve, too. But regardless, when it comes to logistics, resources, and tactical elements, things look very different for a pure face-to-face event versus one that is digital or hybrid, a lesson we have all seen in action over the last year or so. After rapidly adapting to the digital world during the pandemic, many organizations are in a reset mode. They're taking a more enlightened approach to determining what, if any, digital aspects make sense for them to keep for their legacy events. Today, we're gonna walk through some of the big questions to ask before you choose a path forward. First, does it make sense to keep any part of your event digital? And if so, do you have the right approach in place? Matthew Carson, Senior Vice President of Corporate Events for Production Resource Group, shared his insights on this topic at our recent next event. Don't
1: try to recreate the live event virtually. These are two completely different experiences um, and they need to be treated as such, right? So um, it's important that they be different, um, but they share components, right? Uh, So I think, again, You wanna target the content that you put up to the virtual audience. um, And you wanna make sure that that uh, content is formatted correctly for that audience. Um, and, but that you're also maybe creating content just for that audience, just for the virtual audience, um, that the live uh, audience can view on demand later on, um, but that it is uh, specific and directed just to the virtual audience. I think the same thing is true for networking events. Obviously, you want to create specific networking events just for your virtual audience, um, as well as the expo. Don't be concerned about putting everything that's part of your face-to-face meeting on your virtual platform, but really get targeted around what you put on that platform and and keep that content, again, in manageable bite-sized pieces that will ensure uh, engagement by that virtual audience, okay? And then focus on producing that content to the highest quality levels that, that you can afford to do it. Um, You know, as we think about these two things, a face-to-face event and a virtual event um, coming together in a hybrid event, you know, it's really uh, think about the uh, face-to-face as being like going to a a, a theatrical event or a live show, and think about your virtual audience as a television broadcast. And so the content needs to be much more akin to the way that people are, are used to seeing content on television. Highly produced, very focused, um, and, and, and very uh, fast paced for that audience.
0: You know, I really like that metaphor of digital having a similar approach to TV content. It's definitely something to keep in mind as you consider what aspects to make digital and how to execute on them. Once it's determined whether a digital or hybrid event makes strategic sense, the budget implications truly do come next. It's important to ask, how will these changes impact the budget? What additional expenses should I plan for? How should I charge for digital? This was a point of discussion during a recent panel at our next event. Let's listen in on the various perspectives of our panelists from the Production Resource Group, the International Society for Technology and Education and Meeting Professionals International. First, you're going to hear Carter Dunham, Account Executive at Production Resources Group, address a common concern that hybrid may simply just be too expensive.
2: So uh, the first thing I would say is, it's not budget, it's revenue. It's not budget, it's revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So the opportunity that exists with hybrid is huge. You can sell all of it, right? And I know that, that certain organizations have certain restrictions that they have to deal with, particularly like the medical fields, right? But there is an opportunity to sell things in person. There's an opportunity to sell things online. You can record content that you can have six months later. What if you went into your your stakeholder's office and you said, I'll tell you what, we're gonna earn money at the event. And then six months later, we're gonna take all that content and we're gonna put online and we're gonna sell it. And we're gonna earn money again from that same event we're not going to spend anything else, right? So, so it is a revenue opportunity. That's the first thing that I'll say. But The other thing I'll say is, when people think about stream uh, or a, a hybrid event, they think about streaming, right? That's the first thing that comes to our brains. I mentioned it earlier. There's a lot of other aspects of hybrid, but there's a lot of low-hanging fruit out there, right? A lot of people, uh, you know, meeting planners are recording their event already, so you're already kind of doing th- the biggest part of that cost. And it's just, what are you doing with that content? I can't tell you in the production world how many times we record content. And then I say to the client, what do you wanna do with this content? And they say, oh, I don't know, right? I mean, that's that's you're spending the money anyway. What are you doing with that content? And, and there's other things out there. Podcasts are huge. Um, I saw a statistic the other day that something like 50% of Americans have listened to a podcast in, in the past six months. That's a huge number and that's an audience you're probably not touching, right? So think about uh, that engagement. I know I listen to a podcast every day, that's me personally, but you know, so I, I think it's really important to think about the other opportunities that exist out there. And then also, you know, again, asking that why, being smart about your decisions and why you're doing things will allow you to perhaps work with the budget you have and and really make something work. because you may be able to shift things around and, and make things work.
0: Jennifer Reagan for Chief Events and Marketing Officer for the International Society for Technology and Education mentions that changing norms around your event presentation are a critical piece when thinking about planning and budget.
3: Well, I, I mean, I think the challenge is real. I do, I, I understand it as we sit down and think about, especially if you wanna do it simultaneously. So the, the virtual and the face-to-face are happening in roughly the same timeframe you have a certain amount of resource, you have a certain amount of team that you can apply to that. And you know, I think when we've done surveying of our audience, what we've found from attendees, we've asked them really specifically. For a virtual event what what would you expect to pay for that for the virtual component And it's more like 30 percent of what they pay for face-to-face and so in that case you're serving an audience that's paying less money but it takes every bit as much as resource to be able to produce it so you know we we thought of many creative ways that we can solve it but i don't want to underestimate how much of an undertaking it is because it really is to try and do it well and do it in a way that you feel really proud of and that feels like it's really what your event is about and not just like a set of archives that you're offering out. So I think some of the things that Carter mentioned, I think are opportunities. In some cases, it means changing some of the norms. So like one of the norms that we have um, at ISTE is that we won't sell the archives because we think of that as a speaker's IP. And so what does that mean to be able to address that long-term with the community so that they feel like either they're getting the right thing out of it or, or that they feel comfortable with that. So there are some things I think long-term that we would need to make the, a pivot on, but there are things that we can, we can do. It just takes some real thought about it.
0: Annette Gregg, Senior Vice President of Experiences at Meeting Professionals International, discusses the vast range of prices for hybrid events. Uncovering the why should absolutely happen first so that you can develop the right hybrid approach.
4: Is your hybrid opportunity a way to extend your audience? I, you know, we're a global association, 15,000 members around the world, 72 chapters. There's plenty of our folks that would never come live anyway. They would never come in person anyway. So can I monetize that global audience now by providing a robust digital experience that, that now that's incremental revenue for me. So it just goes into a larger strategy about how do you grow your audience with digital and hybrid? And the second thought is or back to the why, you know, this, This does come with a price, but the range of platforms out there and the range of experiences is huge. I'll give you guys an example. So we went to RFP for this back in uh, June. And I know it's come a long way in eight months as far as with the platforms. There's a million more platforms. We had 36 responses to our RFP for digital platforms. And based on our, our RFP, the initial uh, responses came back in a range from 25,000 to 250,000. That is how big the gap is for how much these things were pricing just on paper. Of course, as they dove deeper and, and uh, you know you, you start getting to know what our needs really are and okay, you know that, that real cheap one. Sure, it's attractive, but after you do the add-ons, but that is just the Wild West it was back then, and hopefully it's a little more aligned now as we've gotten down this hybrid road better, but you really have to go back to the why you're doing it, what are you trying to accomplish, does it need to be live broadcast quality, there's plenty of events we do at MPI that don't need broadcast quality, it is straight up Digital information, one-way information push. Uh, you know, Maybe it's a credentialing program, a certification program. Those digital events, so I'm not going to spend that money on. But yeah. if it's true multi-day experience, I'm going to need to spend the money. But I'm also going to charge accordingly. So when we did our budget modeling, I made sure that the expenses for digital were something I could pull out. So I could really take a look at the revenue generated on digital against the expenses on digital. And I could have a, just a better ROI discussion instead of mixing it all in one big bucket.
0: The technical details of digital are another major consideration. Those who aren't well-versed in the world of digital can find themselves at a loss for even knowing the right questions to ask. But it's imperative to educate yourself so you can have candid conversations about the fine details so everyone knows what to expect and you can ensure that the event will be secure and reliable. founder and CEO of Hub speaks about some critical questions to ask digital event providers.
5: All right, and a couple of gotchas to ask them about because I this has been an education for me too over the last couple of, um, of, of years is really diving into what a virtual event platform means as a virtual venue. So these are all the gotchas. So think about things like firewalls. If you deal a lot with government employees or um, people like in banking that have really strict firewalls, talk to your virtual event provider about what they found. Again, going back to the number one of being a really great partner, do they have any documentation they can provide you that would be good attendee best practices in terms of which browsers to use, how to set your settings correctly, how to in advance sort of add people to the allow listing. There's a variety of different things that can happen to help set your attendees up for success and therefore you for success as well. So ask about the firewalls. Ask about things like cookies and cash. Do people have to have cookies enabled? And you know, cookies, yes, they're delicious, and I used to order a lot of them for my events, but cookies in a virtual event can be something completely different. Every internet browser functions a little bit differently. If you're using Safari versus Chrome versus Edge versus Firefox. So really understand how do you set your attendees up for success. Ask them how they deal with cash. If you're making a lot of changes last minute, What will happen when you hit refresh? Are you going to have to log out and log back in for those changes to happen? Are you going to be able to just hit refresh on your browser? Do you have to clear your entire browsing history? Understand what it is that is going to uh, prevent your attendees from having the optimal experience and understand what the risk is to making those last minute changes. Also asking about international capacity. Do you have people coming from different countries? Is there any firewall issues, you know, coming from different countries where they might not be able to consume? Uh, Ask them what third party video providers they're utilizing. So if you're utilizing YouTube as your streaming partner, is that going to work for some of your international people? Same thing happens with video service workarounds. Everyone has their own preference on whether they're using Zoom or WebEx or GoToMeeting or Microsoft Teams. And individual companies can have different permissions that allow people to consume or not consume. Do they have any workarounds? How could attendees participate if they have a certain restriction? So again, these gotchas go back to your virtual event provider and the team that's supporting the virtual event provider to be able to help you to know what the gotchas are for your attendees and how to help support everyone to have the optimal experience.
0: Considering all we discussed today, the question now is when it's all over, how will you measure the event's success? Digital tools can help with tracking attendee actions and participation digitally if you have the proper tracking upfront. Ali Mager, once again, has some great perspectives on the critical questions to ask when it comes to measurement.
5: At the end, we've got to show value. We've got to show what did people do, how did they rank it, how much time did they spend, all the important metrics that allow us to show that we did our jobs as meeting planners and that we were successful in the experience. So get down into the minutia here, ask for some example reports. What do they track? What do they not track? Again, that's one of my favorite things to do is when you're asking, do you do this? You ask them, well, what don't you do in this area? Um, You know, predefine your metrics, understand what will you want to do? And I've done a lot of speaking about starting with the end in mind, put together your strategic plan, understand your audience, understand how you're gonna measure all those things in the beginning of your planning so that when you get to the end, you already knew what you were tracking, your vendor already knew what you were tracking and you were 100% aligned in the data that you wanted. And one of the other things to really pay attention to is if your virtual event provider has a really fancy just engagement metric, great, that's something to go take to someone and say, hey, we were at 90% in this engagement metric, but the minute someone asks you, what does that mean? You need to know how to back that up. Does that actually mean engagement for your audience? Maybe chat doesn't have anything to do with engagement for you. It's more about the time of the video consuming or it's more about their broad experience and different elements that they were participating in. So really understand how engagement is defined and whether you use the overall metric or you create your own metric because they're tracking all the data that you want. So again, this is a really important piece and usually that's this push to after the show and that causes so much pain. So thinking about that ahead of time to really have an understanding of how you're going to show value as a part of your event.
0: Now we've only cracked the surface of what's involved in creating a successful hybrid or digital event, but I hope this has given you some new things to think about. It's exciting to be part of such a creative and innovative period for the event industry. I hope you'll continue to listen and think about what these changes mean for your event portfolio. As we wrap up this limited series, we'll discuss the future of events and where the industry is going in our next episode. See you next time.